0: The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted parlays to in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and receive a $500 risk-free sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's prepswap.com, promo code SGP. And next, we're brought to you by PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. Visit PicksWise.com to make your next bet better. And finally, we're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in the Best Ball Mania 2 contest a chance to win a million dollars that's underdogfantasy.com and finally i would be remiss if i did not mention that you should of course download the sgpn app sgpn is giving you a chance to win a hundred thousand dollars in our nfl week one contest exclusively on the sgpn app so make sure to download that in the google play store or the apple store Hi, Ho de Jennerinos and welcome to the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, episode 66. And before he departed, uh, Juicy J, Jeff Fox tried to convince me to uh, honor a couple of hockey legends in this episode, being that he's Canadian. But instead, I'm going to dedicate episode 66 to Rick Ankeel, the uh, famed pitcher for the the Reds or the the St. Louis Cardinals. He was the St. Louis Cardinals outfielder, of course you know, but he was a pitcher before that, and when he was pitching, he wore number 66. So we'll dedicate the episode to him other than what other hockey guy that Juicy Jeff told me to do. Um, well, of course, you can tell by me talking right now uh, that Juicy Jeff is not with us this week. Instead, he is on vacation again. So I, Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, have taken the reins and am joined again by our favorite fill-in from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Kurt Chase-Patrick joining me. Kurt, thanks for jumping in.
1: Always a pleasure, man. I love doing this with you, and, uh, you know, I wish Jeff the best on his vacation, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to be filling in, man.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, obviously this past weekend was UFC Cannoneer versus Calvin Gastelum, Uh fight card that had some ups and downs and level of excitement, but first let's go over mine and Jeff's results, because we both actually ended the day in the positive, so... Uh, Jeff went seven and five, which is a pretty darn good record on a fight card like this. I went eight and four, so I took it just by uh, one fight. It seems like he never comes to the recaps when I have the better record. That's uh, sort of suspicious. So, um, but in addition to me having one game better of a record there, he profited ninety four forty three, which is pretty darn good. hundred dollars. Uh, of victory money there, and I profited three hundred and three seventy-five, largely behind having three different underdogs who I picked, hit, which was a big, big, big thing on the night, and that brings overall our totals to, I am now up over $600 on Jeff on the year, of course we're both down a little bit because betting $100 on every single fight is crazy stuff, he's a little bit better on the locks, but we won't talk about the locks, instead we'll just... Focus on the moment that uh, I'm up about $600 on them. So uh, we're going to go fight by fight here in just a moment. But before we do, uh, I do want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by WinBet, ready to win money and boost your odds. WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. And they're bringing the excitement of win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards right at your fingertips, getting them all of your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and of course, so many more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at winbet.com. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, they have what it need, what you need to win. Ready to play, sign up today and receive a special risk-free $500 sports bet. Download BetWin. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. So as I said, we watched Calvin Gastelum versus Jared Cannoneer. Um, usually we sometimes go over the attendance or... The gate, uh, it was in the apex, so, you know, the attendance looked like it was like 50 dudes, uh, and they probably made some better money than some of the fighters. Um, so let's actually just get to breaking down the action. So the, speaking of fighters who feel like they're not making enough money, let's talk about Jared Cannonier's performance. He, of course, beat Calvin Gastelum 48-47 to 47 across the board, and in a very rare moment, every single judge agreed on every single round. Jared Cannonier won Rounds 1, 3, and 4, Calvin Gastelum 2 and 5 on every judge's scorecards. It seemed kind of straightforward to me. Uh, I, I don't think there was very much debate anywhere on it, but what did you think of Jared Cannonier's performance and sort of where it leaves him in the middleweight division?
1: Yeah, speaking of the judges, that's kind of crazy, right? Because every like every close fight, or obviously sometimes not close fights, you see the scorecards all over the place. So for them to be in complete agreement. That's kind of wild. Um, I thought Jerry Cannonier did enough. I thought he deserved to win. I thought he fought a smart fight. And, and I don't know, maybe I have to change my tune a little bit, but I still value a win over Kelvin Gastelum so much because I, dude, I'm still like, I, I still think that that Israel Adesanya, Kelvin Gastelum is still there. And I do maybe, I, I don't know. And again, he stepped on the scale, uh, uh, you know, off, but that guy might be best suited at 170, but he's still a dog at 185, so for Cannonier to come back after the tough Robert Whitaker fight and put together a performance like this, a very measured performance against a tough guy like Kelvin Gastelum, I thought it really did a lot for him, and one of the things that he has going for him, right, is he is one of the only guys that has not fought Israel Adesanya yet.
0: Yeah, I think that that's huge, too, and, and Izzy seems like a guy who's not super keen on, like, 100 rematches, right? Like, And I don't mean to draw, you know, any offense here on on uh, Kamar Usman, but Usman seems perfectly happy being like, oh, I made a ton of money fighting Jorge Masvidal, cool, I'm going to fight Jorge Masvidal again. I would make a ton of money fighting Nate Diaz. Cool, I'll fight him seven or eight times if you really want me to. You know, like he just seems, you know, I made a bunch of money fighting Colby Covington. Cool, I'll fight Colby Covington again. Regardless of whether or not there are, like, other deserving challengers popping their head in there, he seems cool with just fighting the same person over and over again. And I just find it just seems like he wants a mix-up, right? Like, he fought Whitaker, he fought Costa, he fought Vittori. I mean, granted the Fatori one was a rematch, I guess, but like he seems to be looking up and down those rankings to be like almost like the Anderson Silva of his era. Like, who can I beat down on this list that's still impressive? And to draw back to your original point about it being a uh, the good Calvin Gaslam still in there and that that win meaning something, I think you're right. I mean, like he is one in five in his last six, which looks really bad when you're looking at it like that. But the losses are to Izzy. Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, Robert Whitaker, and now Jared cannonier That's a crazy list of opponents for anybody to have fought, regardless of what the wins' losses are. I I do want to ask, though, you know, about Calvin Gastelum. I talked about it last week with Rory McDonald, and and after he had had that fight with Robbie Lawler, he kind of seemed like a changed man. Do you feel any bit about that, about Calvin Gastelum? Does Does it seem like his fighting style is different after that, you know, war with Israel Adesanya?
1: See, I, I don't. And I think I think they're a little bit... I, I, I like the comparison. I think there's been a lot of, of comparisons between the two. But I still feel like I've seen that that fire from Kelvin where he's willing to go through hell. And he's willing to still it out. Because if you look at all these fights, minus the Jack Hermanson fight, I mean the Darren Till fight, razor thin. Robert Whittaker fight. Pretty damn close. This fight with Jared Cannonier, pretty damn close. Whereas Rory, it just seemed like that fight really took something away from him, and he never was really able to, like, um, I don't know, like, have to go through, you know, that dark place or, you know, however fighters want to, you know, refer to it as. I just don't feel like he could still get there. Whereas Kelvin, I do think he still got it in him.
0: That's true. You know, a good example of that is, like, Calvin got absolutely tagged by Cannoneer, right? Canonier put him on the seat of his pants. First of all, I don't know how he got up from that punch because it looked like it turned his head fully sideways on his shoulders. And he just popped back up. Like, it almost looked like old school Clay Guida. Like, and we'll talk about him in a second. But, like, when Guida got kicked in the head by Diego Sanchez and just popped back up like he'd never gotten hit or, you know, like any of Chris Levin's early fights. It was that kind of recovery for me. Uh, He pops right back up and he gets right in Cannoneer's face again, right? Like, he wasn't yeah. scared. Whereas Rory McDonald, Rory McDonald didn't want to trade with John Fitch recently. Like, right, this, that, exactly. and, and that that says, I mean, that says so much when you don't want to trade with John Fitch. Like, you should want to trade with John Fitch at all costs. So, yeah, I, I, I guess that, that is probably premature to say about Calvin Gastelum. But, you know, before we get into what we're doing next with Jerry Cannonier, let's talk about what we should do next with Calvin Gastelum. Because on one hand, he's clearly a top 10 middleweight to me still, right? Like if you're having a razor close decision with Jerry Cannonier, you're probably in the top 10 of the middleweight division. But on the other hand, if you're losing five out of six, we're probably talking about a big step back. So what would you like to see him do? How far would you like to see him step back? What kind of opponent are we looking at here for Calvin Gastelum?
1: Listen, maybe – again, maybe I need to stop beating this drum, but I still look at Kelvin, and I still think the best path for him to, to either work back to a title or I, – I don't know. I, I don't know, it, and it's crazy to think because he's 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 so good at 185, man, but I still look at 170. I look at his body, and, and I want to see him at 170. He's still only – Still only 29 years old, maybe he needs that reset because he's lost to the top guys. He's lost to Israel Adesanya, the champion already. He's lost to Darren Till. He's lost to Robert Whitaker, who's the next challenger. He's lost to Jared Cannonier now, who you know could be next after Whitaker, right? So there, he's fought all these guys. He's lost to a lot of them. The the path, the road back to a title is, is nowhere near, right? I think a fresh start at 170, if he recommits himself, could be the best path for him um if he doesn't go that route let me uh let me I should have these rankings up before we even started but um let me just take a quick look down that 185 list
0: yeah it's a weird list too because he's got he's got fights with a bunch of people on it already because obviously the bunch in front of him and then like behind him is Uriah Hall who he famously had that ultimate fighter finale against got Chris Weidman on there, who he fought in a main event in, in Long Island. So, like, man, there, there are names on there that he's fought ahead of and behind him, too, which is another thing about getting a fresh start that you might be right on. Yeah,
1: and, and if you look at it, it's like, you know, obviously, who's, Darren Till and Derek Brunson are matched up. I mean, he lost quickly to Jack Hermanson. Sean Strickland is about to fight Luke Rockhold. If Strickland wins, I, I, I think that he's above Gastelum, right? Uh, Shabazian Shib- could be interesting, but he has a fight lined up. I mean, Chris Weidman nowhere near. Maybe a Brad Tavares, but I just don't know if like is that that's that's a big step back, man. It's
0: it's and, and it's not and it's a not a good step Tavares to the fight. title too. It's not no. like like you said if if we believe and he's only twenty nine years old, right? If if we believe that there's a title shot in there for Calvin Gle- Gastelum before he turns, let's say, thirty five. It ain't, the, the road doesn't go through Brad Tavares, you Wait, know? So, and,
1: so let me ask you this. Am I crazy to keep, like, beating the drum of 170? Do you think that's just – is that just out of the cards, like, never going to happen again? I
0: don't uh, – you know, I, I don't know if it's never going to happen again because it couldn't or shouldn't. But I, if, you, if you gave me odds on would you bet on Calvin Gastelum taking a welterweight fight again, I, I think I – and you gave me even money odds, I'd probably bet the no. Uh, and I don't yeah. think it's because he shouldn't or that he couldn't, but I do think it's that he won't. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. M- maybe the way that's killing him. Know. Maybe the UFC pressure. But, like, I, you know, Mike Dolce, I don't know if you retweeted it or just tweeted it, but somebody posted a picture of Calvin Gaslam looking caught as hell with Mike Dolce just, like, smirking behind him. Dude, that Calvin Gaslin was a bad dude. <laughs>
1: Dude, he was. I mean, his res his resume in general is just insane. If you go up and down and look at just names he fought from 170 to 185, he has he has one of the best strength of schedules out there. And it's crazy. He's still only 29 years old. I know I'm not the only guy beating that drum. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's just it, it the the picture right now for Kelvin Gastelum is as cloudy as it's ever been.
0: Yeah, and if you look at his, uh, I'm just looking now at his record at uh, welterweight too to remind myself. His only two losses uh, at welterweight were when he missed weight um, both times, and they were split losses to Tyron Woodley and Neil Magny. I know. Which is, ah, man, and then he chased out of the division. So, all right, well, let, let's, say, let's say we get our wish, and we get to be his nutritionalist for a second or, or rehire Mike Dolce, and that's, uh, that's the power move we get to do right now. Who do you like to see him against it at welterweight? What, what fun matchup do you think there is for him? That would entice him to to go back to that version of Uh
1: We we talked about this gentleman uh, before he we went on air today, Sean Brady.
0: Oh God, yes. <laughs> I mean, Sean
1: Brady is only ranked 14th, but I mean that 14 is going to probably move up very very soon. Um, he was injured and out of the fight with Kevin Lee, but that's a guy that needs a fight. That's that's a fresh name, uh, Sean Brady is a stud, I think a guy like that could could do wonders for both of them, right? Because if Sean Brady wins, obviously he gets a big name on his resume. And if Calvin Gaston wins, boom, he comes back to 170 with a lot of momentum.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I even actually think you could run him a little bit further up the rankings. Not Again, like Sean Brady being 14 is not doing what that name is justice because I, I think that dude's a killer and probably yes. has a, a very bright future in that division. But, uh, you know, I, I'm also cool with names like Jeff Neal. like Jeff Neal would be a good one. Je- Jeff Neal would be a fun fight. Like, Bilal Muhammad and Michael Chiesa might be a little bit of a stretch. Probably
1: cr- oh, not that at much. Chiesa
0: yeah, like would be
1: a cool one coming off that loss.
0: Coming off that loss, having a little bit of trouble, uh, you know. And, like, hey, maybe that's perfect for him. Maybe that's, like, just what he needs. Like, he fought Vicente Luque and had trouble with Luque. Calvin Gaslum, probably not Vicente Luque, but, like, a good enough test to see what Kies is made of. Um, You know, obviously, Kies is not going to knock him out. We'd probably have to see, you know, stalemate in the wrestling department. It would be really fun. So, yeah, I think there's tons for Calvin Gaslum down there. And the other thing, like you – I mean, like, I, I want to harp on this point. You said it's fresh, and that's the key it here. Is fresh, yes. Like, we need – If Calvin Gastelum is going to continue selling us on himself being a title challenger and his management is and and the media is, because I think we all believe it, too, is we can't look up at the rankings and see five guys in front of him that have beat him. And that's what we're doing right now. Five guys in front of him in the division have already beat him. So, like, where's that path to to Israel Adesanya again? It, It just doesn't seem like it's there. So... All right, well, I, we've probably harped on Calvin Gaslam's weight for long enough. Let's talk about uh, the former heavyweight, Jared Cannonier, uh and where he goes next at middleweight because seemingly he's staying at middleweight. Whitaker's getting the next title shot against Israel Desanya. They said he may be waiting until the beginning of 2022. I don't know whose timeline that is, but that's the rumor out there now. Paulo Costa's booked with Marvin Vittori. Derek Brunson and Derek Brunson and Darren, uh, Darren Till are booked already. Uh, is he waiting for one of those winners? What does he just wait for the title shot? What is he doing next?
1: He's a, he's at an interesting point, and again, like we said before, he's one of the guys that has not fought Israel Adesanya yet, and that is is a big thing going for him, right? So I guess it really comes down to the timeline, right? Because you figure these guys are going to tangle in the first quarter of 2022. We don't know an exact date yet. We don't know what's going on with COVID and them, you know, leaving the country and getting back in the country, right? So we have to wait and see on all of that. Um, I do think it is is in play. It's it's almost like it, it's almost like a pseudo little middleweight tournament, right? Because a lot of these guys like. There's not, after Robert Whitaker, a clear-cut number one contender. So we're going to have to see what happens with those two fights, right? The Darren Till-Derek Brunson fight and the the Vittori-Costa fight. Obviously, if, if Vittori wins, he's not getting the next shot. Um, Paulo Costa, if he gets a huge win, maybe he can vault himself back into that with – Obviously, the beef with Israel Adesanya and the whole wine drinking and whatever the hell else. Uh, geez, Holocaust was weird, saying
0: weird storyline.
1: <laughs> but again, Dan, just like you had said before, right? It doesn't seem like Israel Adesanya necessarily wants to keep fighting rematches. So I, I do think pretty much this is this is this is a, a beat around the bush way of me coming back and saying that I think Jared Kennedy has put himself in a really really good spot. I think the one guy that could throw a wrench into all this, if he does win and wins impressively, is Darren Till. I think if Darren Till wins impressively, maybe he jumps the line and fights Adesanya. But, uh hell, dude, we could even get a Jerry Cannoneer, uh Dude, honestly, Jerry Cannoneer might... When, when is the Vittori Costa fight supposed to happen?
0: Oh, yeah, he could fill in for Paulo Acosta when he yeah. inevitably <laughs> still has COVID symptoms or a exactly. contract dispute. Yeah, like... Dude,
1: he could even step into one of those fights and, you know...
0: Yeah, and especially too because like you know with you know, we don't know what's going on with the COVID things and obviously travel being harder and you know two two of those guys being international guys makes it a little bit trickier. He certainly could walk into one of those, and I'm gonna just 100% agree with you. I think probably the thing for Cannonier because he didn't you know if that that left hook just absolutely knocks out Calvin Gaslam in the third round. Uh, we're, we're probably not questioning it. We're probably just already booking it. But because it goes to a decision, because he loses the fifth round, I'm saying he probably has to fight one of these winners. He's probably got to fight Paulo Costa so, coming so. off of a Marvin Vittori win. He's probably got to fight Derek Brunson coming off a Darren Till win. But I 100% think you're right. If Darren Till goes out there and beats Derek Brunson, I don't even know that it has to be all that impressive. If he, if he seems to want that fight, I have no idea why his management seems to want that fight. I mean, like, I guess let them have that fight. It's fresh. It's new, too. But you're right. I, I think that, for some reason, that's the one that they want. Um, so maybe that's the one they're going to get. But um, that just about does it for our talk about the middleweight division before we move on to the next fight. First of all, let me tell you that both me and Jeff did pick Jared Cannon here at negative 160. So we cashed that ticket as well. Um, And let me me also tell you about PropSwap. This episode is brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Football season is about to kick off, and PropSwap is here to make... Your season, the best season ever. With PropSwap, your bet doesn't need to win in order to make money. It just needs to improve. For example, last year, the Buffalo Bills were 35-1 to to win the Super Bowl. And after they reached the AFC Championship game, a PropSwap customer who bet $100 on the Bills before the season sold that ticket for $900. That's an 800% return for the seller on a ticket that did not win. It ended up losing. So think of PropSwap like the stock market, but for sports betting, buy low, sell high. And the average ticket seller on PropSwap makes over $500 a month just listing and selling tickets. And when making your bets, make sure to go for two, make two tickets on the same exact team. Then you can sell one for a profit and keep one just in case it cashes. Get started today by going to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. All right, so let's go to the co-main event. Lightweight action between Marco Madsen and Clay Guida. Maybe not the most exciting fight on the card. It goes down as a split decision. One judge giving Madsen one round, one judge giving Madsen two rounds, and one judge giving Madsen three rounds. Uh, This is unfortunately the only fight on the card where I do have to admit that Jeff... Picked the correct fighter, and I did not. I was riding with the underdog, Clay Guida, in this one, and he unfortunately let me down as Mark Madsen found his way to a split decision. I feel like we probably don't need to spend too much time on this fight, because unlike most co-main events, it's it's not a, a very meaningful fight in the lightweight division. It, it didn't come with all kinds of excitement. I mean, I guess they talked a lot about Mark Madsen's trajectory up the division, and what he can do next, and you know, his age and that being a factor and all the health stuff that happened for him and his wife and the travel stuff. I, I don't want to take away from this guy's moment, but did you feel when you were watching that like Mark Madsen could be a guy in the most loaded division in MMA?
1: No, I didn't. And again, it was a nice win for him. I agree with you. I was I was on the uh Guida train. I thought that Guida would be active enough and You know, Guida, and he was to an extent, right? Guida was bouncing all around. I just don't think he threw enough. I think he was hard to take down like I expected. Um, You know, Madsen's Madsen's striking just seems very robotic. You know, his his movement isn't that great. He's a bit stiff. He was really loading up on some of those um, big overhand rights and big hooks where I think guys with slicker striking could really make him pay for that. Um, And he had a big size advantage, too, on Clay Guida in there. He just looked like the bigger, more physical guy, and again, he kind of, you know, he did some decent work in the clinch, but not as much as I expected. He wasn't able to put any takedowns together. Um, yeah, I don't want—I don't want to take away from his shine too much. I was happy for him to see him win, although over Guida, who's just an awesome guy. But Marco Madsen went through a lot heading into this fight. Um, yeah, I don't—you know—I don't necessarily think after this fight I'm, I'm going away and saying, "Man, I need to see him against the top." 15 of the lightweight division ASAP.
0: Yeah, no, and and that's mostly it for me, right? Like, Clay Guida, who's mostly like a journeyman at this age, right? Like, he's had his moment in the sun. He had a strike force belt at a time. You know, he was bouncing around title eliminators against Diego Sanchez way back when. And I I think you're right. I I don't think he did enough on the feed. I I agreed with the judges' scorecards. I I thought Madsen had two out of three rounds at the first and the third. Um, So I, I had no problem with it going to him. I, but, yeah, just like the – and maybe it was because the narrative is kind of nice and people want that narrative to come across. But, like, I, I thought back to, like, recent performances I've seen by unranked lightweights. And, like, you know, like, let, let's look at Matt Turez Gamro, who just absolutely beasted on Jeremy Stevens yes. and made him look like a fool, both with his wrestling and with his submission offense. And, like – and we also know that dude can crack, too, right? Like, that dude's good on the feet as well. Like – and he's not ranked at lightweight, and he's also not 36, you know? Like, so for me, yeah, the the whole narrative of, like, yeah, let's get Mark Madsen. If he's going to make a run, he's going to make it now. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't I don't think he's going to make it now. Because, like, put him in there with Mattress Gamro, and he eats him for breakfast, dude. And I think Gamro takes him down, to be honest. Like, not that I don't think Madsen's a good wrestler, but, like, I mean, like, he is a Greco Roman wrestler. It's a different style of wrestling. Um, and I think, man, I, I think there are a lot of dudes in this division who'd give him a lot of trouble. And I think, you know, if, if it was somebody other than Clay Guida standing against him and boxing him, I, I, like you said, if he looks robotic out there. I think he gets boxed up pretty easily. So. Um, we probably don't need to fantasy book him. Uh, he is going to probably get a step up in competition because they do seem to be high on him. And he is now, you know, not for anything, 3-0. and And, you know, there's a win in there over Austin Hubbard, um, which is a, a pretty good win. Danilo Bellardo is probably not. But, yeah, he's looked pretty good in the UFC. We'll see him soon again, I'm sure. Another person we might be able to see soon is Connecticut native Parker Porter who picked up a huge unanimous decision victory over Chase Sherman, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. I'm not sure what rounds anybody gave to Chase Sherman because it was pretty much all Parker Porter for me. And in addition to that, the thing that looked best about Parker Porter to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's his cardio, was it not?
1: Yeah, man, Connecticut stand up. By the way, we had uh, two Connecticut boys get huge wins on this card. Dude, Parker Porter is one of the OGs of Connecticut MMA. Might be the OGs of the OGs, man. Uh, dude, Parker Porter fought John Jones in like yeah. what was it, like 2007 or eight? I was actually at that fight. Uh, I, watched par- fight
0: Ga- I watched him fight. I fought watching fight Gabriel Gonzaga in 2011. Yeah, yes, dude.
1: I was also at that fight. Um, dude, Parker is a legend, and yeah. I agree with you. His cardio, man, I mean, he's a a big Bulberry boy out there, but, dude, he comes to bang. He's always had really, really good striking, but I think his cardio uh, just took a step up in this fight, and I think his head movement was actually really well, too. He got tagged clean a couple different times, but he kept his composure, moved his head really well, um, and, dude, he was just able to really put it on Chase Sherman. Uh, It's a really, really good performance for Parker. I'm super happy for
0: him. Yeah, the footwork looked great. I, I would say too, you know, like, you, you mentioned the head movement. It seemed like just technical boxing increases all over the place. Um, between his footwork, his headwork, you know, is what he was mixing up as far as his combinations were concerned. And you're right. He never, he wasn't in the mood to take a step back. He just kept pushing Chase Sherman. And Chase Sherman, I mean, like, he was like cowering against the cage at certain points with, with Parker lighting him up. I mean, like, you have to feel really great for a guy. You know, he once told me that he made his MMA debut, and I, I, you know, it's a crazy story, but he made his MMA debut in 2007, which first of all, I was in high school in 2007, which is insane. And he made it in, in like, a a sketchy strip club in Revere, Massachusetts. Like, it's such a crazy story because, like, that's the stuff you heard about happening 15 years ago. And you're like, oh, those guys are, you know, are relics now. And it's like this guy is having his renaissance now. Like, now is is when he's his best, which, you know, I, I don't know if that's bad or good. Because, hey, heavyweight, you can be 36. You know, like, he's the same age as Mark Madsen, but, like, at heavyweight, that's fine. Like, right? Like it's fine to be 36 at heavyweight where it isn't at lightweight. Uh, so, I, I got to ask, because, like, I, I mean, like you said, he's a Connecticut guy, so we got to be pumped about guys, A, from New England, and you're specifically from Connecticut. He's now on, if you're looking back at his record, he's won two in a row. He did get knocked out by Chris Dawkins. If you go before that, he won four out of five, and the only loss was a DQ from a bad strike when he was already going to win that fight. So, really, he's, like, five out of seven with only, or, uh, a, or a, Seven out of eight with only a loss to Chris Dawkins in there, who's now a top ten heavyweight in the world. So what are we doing next with Parker Porter? Are we rushing him up the ladder because he's, you know, he's getting on the older side for, I mean, guess not for heavyweight, but are we rushing him up the ladder, or what do we want to see him do next in terms of a fun fight?
1: We're not rushing him up the ladder because, I mean, I'm trying to think of who would be a good – name for him because, you know, if he's, if he's I don't think, you know, if I'm being realistic, I don't think Parker Porter is, a, you know, I'm not going to say he's ready for like the top 15, nor do I want to see him in there with a top 15 guy. I want to, you know, he needs to be, put him in there with, with some other guys that come to bang, Um put him there in a fun fight. How about we let Parker, Parker Porter knock out Greg Hardy? How about that?
0: Oh, I, well, you know I I say this every time somebody suggests Greg Hardy as a dance partner for somebody, and I I do mean every time, especially when it's somebody who I love because I do you know I'll, I'll just admit to being a homer here and loving Parker Porter, um, which by the way both me and Jeff took plus one hundred and fifty huge underdog and we took him and he 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 cashed that bet for us so. um I'm always hesitant to book somebody with Barker Porter because, or with uh, Greg Hardy, because it feels like a bigger risk for me. You know what I mean? Like it is. It I'm is. so much more emotionally invested in it because I, I. No matter who you you book Greg Hardy with, I hope they blast his head off. Right? Like you could you could put him with somebody who I could not care less about, and I'm like, I hope they knock him out. When they booked him with Ty Tuivasa, I was like, you're gonna tell me. That if he loses this fight, I have to watch Greg Hardy celebrate, I have to watch Ty Tuivasa lose, and then I don't get a shoey? you got to be kidding me. But, right, like the, the stakes are higher. And now with Parker Porter, I feel the same thing. Stakes are higher. So I never like fantasy booking anybody with Greg Hardy. It, it bothers me too much. I'll say this. Why not book him with the person who filled in for him and beat Chase Sherman last? So he was supposed to fight Chase Sherman all the way back in April or March, I believe. Parker Porter got COVID, had to pull out of the fight, and they filled him with Andre Orlovsky. What about Andre Orlovsky? Andre,
1: that would be a good one. I was just looking at some rankings. I mean, like a Tanner Bozer could be fun.
0: Oh, that would be um, a good one, too, because Bozer doesn't back down either. That would be a no, fun, like, it. push a cardio. Bowser's a little smaller than him. Maybe he could try to get his grappling going. I'd feel good about, you know, either of those guys winning because I love Tanner Bozer, too. I watched it when he opened up that monster can with his teeth at the press conference. Very funny moment. Like, that's just the most, like, with yeah, Canada guy, shit dude. ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Greg Hardy was more me not doing my research and having anyone at the top <laughs> of my mind. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think a guy like Tanner Bozzi, I think Arlovsky would be great, honestly. That would be a good one, just for, for Parker, because Parker's a bet of the game. He deserves a fight like that. And Arlovsky, dude, I mean, the guy is a just a ageless wonder. He's just fighting... Tough guy after tough guy. He doesn't care if he's getting a ranked opponent or a guy that's making his debut. He says yes to every fight. So, yeah, that is a really good pick as well.
0: And he just bought Chase Sherman on short notice and beat yeah, Chase Sherman. So, like, exactly. they're, they're both coming off a win over Chase Sherman. They both decision Chase Sherman fairly easily. You know, like, I, I don't think there was any debate on either of them. So, yeah, like, you know, maybe that's it for Parker Porter. But, uh, you know, regardless, I, I'm just – you know, like, we couldn't say it enough. We're jazzed for where his career has come from, where it's been, but um, good for him. So, before we get on to talking about the next fight, which is another absolutely crazy one, which technically happens at catchweight, let me tell you about Pixwise. Pixwise is the number one home for free sports bets, props, and parlays, helmed by a team of trend-watching, data-devouring sports fanatics, giving you the who, how, and why behind every prediction for every game, every day, every sport. All for free. Visit PixWise.com to make your next bet better. PixWise backs responsible gambling. If you are someone you know wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let me also tell you about Underdog Fantasy. You can head on over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use promo code SGPN for a free $25 bet. That's right. Sign up now for a free shot at a million dollars in their Best Ball Mania 2 contest. Download the app or sign up at UnderdogFantasy.com using promo code SGPN. All right, so uh, the next fight was supposed to be Trevin Jones versus a myriad of opponents that uh, all rotated out, only to land finally on Krok uh on three days' notice. This dude steps in. He did miss weight uh, by three and a half pounds or two and a half pounds if you give him the pound allotment. But what he did was he stepped in there and he choked Trevin Jones cold after seemingly winning the fight the whole time, too, right? Like, am I wrong? Did it look like he was beating a guy who both me and you have heavily touted in Trevin Jones?
1: Yeah, I thought he was he was winning the fight. I think Jones... And, and it's crazy, right? Because I thought Jones started out pretty well. Um, and this is a really back-and-forth fight the whole time. But it's crazy that... Karek Manoff is the, is the one that kind of put it on Jones and gassed him out. Because by that, like, dude, even going, like, that second round, going into the third, Trevin Jones looked like he was starting to tire. And Karek did too, but he was able to push through a lot better. Dude, I was thoroughly impressed with him. Um, I know when he got signed for this fight, a lot of people were really high. So I did a lot of my research. The guy is an absolute stud out of Uzbekistan, Um Really impressed with that performance because yeah, like you said, me and you have both been very high on Trevin Jones, and for him to go out there and choke him unconscious, wow!
0: Yeah, and and I'll say this: both me and Jeff had Trevin Jones, and we're both kind of shocked that the odds were it was negative one thirty-five when we talked about it for Trevin Jones. And I was like, this is a late replacement. Um. So then, you know, after I had picked him, I, I went back and I was like, am I missing something? And I watched some of his older fights and, you know, he's got good KO power. And I was like, Ah, oh, maybe they just think he's got a puncher's chance. But, man, dude, he put in a full-ass performance in there. It wasn't just like, you know, he, he knocked out Askar Askar, not to be confused with Askar Askar off. Uh, but he knocked out tough prospect Askar Askar in like 40 seconds. And I was like, if he went out there and did that to Trevin Jones, I'd feel really... I would feel like, oh, okay. Well, I, you know, it was a bad beat—a guy with a good punching power. But like, it wasn't just that. He was he, his cardio was good for a dude who stepped in on no notice. Like, I, I mean, in, like you said, he, he's a beast. He he trains with Tino Yama, which is you know slowly putting together another great stable of fighters. I know they had like a really great stable back in like the Ian McCall days, but like they seem to be really putting it together with Alex Perez again, and there's a couple of other guys training there. But, man, yeah, he looked good. Um, I, I mean, not too much more to say about him. That's his first fight at Bantamweight, but I assume he's going to get a pretty fun fight next after doing that to Trevin Jones. Um, and that wasn't even the only person who got choke cold, which we'll talk about another one later. Um, lightweight action between Vince Bichelle and Austin Hubbard, kind of an exciting-ish fight. I mean, like, Vince Bichelle got in Austin Hubbard's face a lot. He was sporting the coolest mustache in the game, perhaps. I don't know if there's really anything I want to dig into specifically here, but, man, Vince Pichelle continues to be, like, a really freaking duff out at lightweight.
1: Yeah, Vince Pichelle's put together, quietly, just a really, really good career coming off that uh, Ultimate Fighter uh, live season. Right? He was in the Ultimate Fighter live season. I think he –
0: wasn't he on the – was he on the live one, or was he on the – No, he was on Carwin Nelson. Carwin – yeah, Roy Nelson, because I thought he was on Team Roy Nelson, which – which wound up being like a very weird team of, yeah. of dudes. Yeah. Because I think that one also team Team Roy Nelson had like Colton Smith, who wound up winning it, and Johnny yeah. Manley, and like a yeah, so <laughs> yeah. weird group of dudes. But anyway, you were. Um,
1: yeah. So I, I he's just he's just a really good fighter. Um, he's gotten a lot better. He just uh, it was it was honestly a good fight. I mean, there was those guys were were standing toe to toe. Uh, they were really really just hammering each other's legs, but the show was just. I guess a I guess more well-rounded fighter, right? He ate the shots well. He was chewing apart Hubbard's legs. He mixed in a little bit of wrestling, which I think surprised Hubbard. And just the the way that he kind of – he just has some awkward movements on the feet where you don't really know where the punches are coming from. I mean, he
0: even drops his hands at
1: times. Yeah, there, there's not much to say besides it being a solid fight and Vince Bichelle just getting another um, big win for his record.
0: Yeah, and he is now seven and one in his last eight, with only a loss to Gregor Gillespie in there. Uh, and wins include Roosevelt Roberts, Jim Miller, Austin Hubbard, um, and then obviously the, the winning streak goes back to 2014 because he's had some huge layoffs. But yes, yes. I, I mean, like, but the, these last three fights, you know, Roosevelt Roberts, Jim Miller, Austin Hubbard, uh, since losing to Greg Gillespie, like I, I think he probably still has to fight some other guys in there, but. Hey, you know, hey, maybe that's the matchup I want for Mark Madsen. like let's run him with Vince Paelle. Can you handle Vince that could,
1: yeah that that that's a good one because I think Pachelle has the the obviously the striking to give Madsen problems, especially if Madsen can't get him to the ground and I think he has good enough wrestling to where he can test Madsen. that's a good call, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, and Vince Michelle ha- hasn't been flawless in his takedown defense because Gregor Gillespie did plow through him. But, hey, if, if Mark Madsen wants a chance at Gregor Gillespie, who he did call out and 100% isn't getting. Um, no. But, like, if that's who he wants, go show us you can do exactly what Gregor Gillespie did to Mar- to Vince Michelle, And if you can, maybe then we can talk, right? Because then that'd be four in a row and a win over a guy and a three-fight winning streak. Uh, it'd be a lot more interesting. Uh, let's talk next about a fight that actually seems to matter, and that's Alexandre Pantoja beating Brandon Roy Ball in a very fun, scrambling, grappling match that ended with a brutal rear naked choke in a way that I did not think this fight was going to end. Alexandre Pantoja's jiu-jitsu looked very, very, very nice in this fight. He comes out looking all roses. Now, this one is the one I actually do want to talk about a little bit in depth because after the fight, and actually even before the fight, Dana White said, this is the guy. This is the guy who's – whoever wins this fight is going to get Moreno. What are your thoughts on there? Is that playing hardball with Figueredo? Is that overlooking Askar Askarov? Or is it looking for excitement? Because these two certainly brought excitement.
1: Well, for me, I, I, I'm i fine with um, Davis and Figueredo not getting immediate rematch. Me me I thought too. I thought the second fight obviously was – yeah, Brandon Moreno went out there and, and went through him. Let's not beat around the bush, right? So I don't think he deserves the rematch. So I, I agree. Yeah, it could be – you could make a case for Askarov, and you could have made a case for the winner of this fight. The way that Pantoja went out there and – I mean, dude, if we want to talk about the fight a little bit, those scrambles were amazing. The way that Pantoja was able to use kind of that that little suck back from the back and how he was able to just flow – Uh, when Roy Val was going for those Granby rolls and trying to roll through for legs and create scrambles, he just kind of rode and surfed on on, uh, Roy Val's back. Um, Really impressive stuff. And there's also, I mean, both of these guys, actually all three of them, Askarov has fought Moreno before, uh, which ended in a draw. Pantoja has beaten Moreno twice. Roy Val had the weird shoulder injury against Moreno, which he lost. So I think there's a lot of... uh, a lot of things you could sell with any of those guys fighting. But after a performance like this, having beaten Moreno twice, I really think you could sell that. Um, I mean, just two guys that are extremely nice. How about that
0: humble call-out? Um, I love the call-out. The call-out made me so happy. <laughs> it, yeah,
1: it's, it's just great. The guys are – I, I really – and they're, both of their first two fights were, were awesome, right? The fight on the Ultimate Fighter and then the fight in the UFC. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with Askarov, and maybe this is just because this is so fresh in my mind, but I really love Brandon Roybal, and for Pantoja to do this to him, uh, I'm ready for him versus Moreno next. I think that's the one.
0: Yeah, and I'm really high on Roybal, too. You know, I, I failed to mention the last fight. We both did take Vince Pichelle, and Vince Pichelle came out on top. We also both took Brandon Roybal. Uh, I thought underdog money on Brandon Roybal here was a steal, but, man, Pantoja, i, I don't really remember a moment where Royval looked like he had the upper hand at anything. Like, he he was getting outstruck, and then he was in the wrestling and the grappling, and his back was pretty much taken the whole time. I guess maybe he he was attacking the legs for a second, which was kind of fun. It was kind of a fun little entanglement there for a moment. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think they can't go wrong, but, like, the fresh call-out was there for Pantoja. The champ was in the building. They have the history of being in the Ultimate Fighter House together, paired together in their first fight. Then had a rematch fight. Moreno left the organization, came back to the organization. The, the storyline is just too easy here for Alexandre Pantoja versus Moreno. And I would also say this: like, yeah, Askarov has a little history with him. It was a draw, but for me, that fight—not not that it wasn't good, but it was kind of forgettable, right? Like, yeah. and and not, no offense to Askar Askarov because I I know like, he's deaf, right? If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, yes, correct. He just doesn't sell as well as Alexandre Pantoja coming out and you know giving a really nice call out that Moreno seemed into, and they can jaw back and forth a little bit about their past. It's just different, and it, it seems terrible that that's probably how you wind up booking it. But hey, that that performance was worth it, even if the uh, all of that isn't behind. So before we put this flyweight one to bed and get to speed round through the prelims here. I did want to ask you, what do you think of that matchup? Because Pantoja does have the lead, 2 nothing here. I mean, granted, one's in the Ultimate Fighter House. So it's not an official record one. It's an exhibition. But wh- what do you think about his chances here to dethrone the champ? Because it, it seems crazy because just a little while ago, we were talking about Pantoja having lost two out of three.
1: I, obviously, I like his chances because we've seen him do it twice. But... Brandon Moreno is just so improved from his run on the Ultimate Fighter in his early run in the UFC. I mean, the guy is literally just... Dude, the way he looked at, honestly, in both of those Figueredo fights, and especially, obviously, the second one where he ran through Figueredo, um, dude, he's, he's just a stud. So I think that Pandosha still poses a lot of problems for Brandon Moreno, but... I, Moreno is just so much better now. I think that uh, I would obviously favor Moreno. I think he would have the upper hand. I think the odds would be extremely interesting to see how much they put into the weight of Moreno's rise since those two earlier fights. But, uh, yeah, I think it would be a really, really dynamic and interesting fight.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. Dynamic is the word here because like, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, who has the advantage in this spot? Who has the advantage in this spot? What would the intention be of this fight? Or what would the intention be of... This? And I don't know the answers to any of those things. Like, I, I don't know, would would Pantoja want to wrestle Moreno? Would Moreno want to box Pantoja? Would Moreno want to wrestle Pit? I have no idea, and I have no idea what it would look like. And so, there's another reason I'm in for it. Like, I don't know what it would look like after all these years and after all of these improvements. So, I'm here for it. I hope they book it next. I hope they book it soon, because it seems like he didn't take very much damage. And they're looking for title fights in, like, the December area. So... Color me in for that one.
1: And here, here's, here's the next, the next match we make, right? Book that, boom, we book. Askar Askarov, Davison Figueredo.
0: put it on we the same card. Thing out. Put it and on the same card. Him.
1: Right, exactly. Boom, done. You, little, uh, you get the title fight. You get the the big title weight title fight eliminator, and now you got your division mapped out.
0: I love it. Now, I do want to ask really quickly too, because this is a weird spot now for Brandon Roy who's dropped two in a row. Um, you know, he's still pretty highly touted in this division. Is there anybody that you that comes to mind that you'd like to see him fight next because he does have a win over the guy immediately behind him in the division, Kaikar, France. He, he's got a win over, you know he's not number six right now. He's got wins over seven and ten. So it's not like he's going anywhere, but anybody you'd like to see him fight next?
1: Um, I'm looking at these rankings. I mean, Alex Perez could be interesting. Is he fought Alex Perez yet? No, he's not. Alex Perez could be interesting because Alex Perez was linked with uh, Askar Askarov until that fell through, correct? Oh, all
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder if, too, that's part of the – now that you say that because you're 100% right. That fight fell through and I just looked up uh, Alex Perez is a fight coming up with Matt Schnell now. Um, which I did not know was going to happen, and that's happening on September 4th. The winner of that would be a good matchup for Baroval.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think, uh, dude, honestly, Baroval could fought a ham, fight a ham sandwich, I'm, I'm tuned in, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, that's true. Um, I still think, I, I think any of these fights, you put them in, it's it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, dude, any of these fights, Zuma Derzy would be fun. I just I love that dude.
0: Yeah, he's I love awesome. Sumo Derji. low key really loved him. And uh, another one at the bottom of the division I've really grown to like is that Amir El Daisy
1: Yes, he's good, too.
0: He's, like, a lot of fun to watch, too. So, yeah, there, there's so many fun names. And also, th- this just dawned on me as you were saying it. With Askar Askarov dropping out of that fight with Alex Perez, which is supposed to happen in a week, I almost wonder if that has something to do with why we're talking about uh, somebody else getting the title shot and not him. Maybe he is not able to travel. Maybe True. he is not fit. Um, maybe there's an injury we don't know about. Because that fight did, like, they said eventually we're just like, oh, it didn't get signed or whatever. But, like, maybe there's something behind that, and maybe there's a reason why um, we're just suddenly not talking about uh, Askar Askarov as a title challenger, or at least uh, Dana isn't. So, all right, yeah, so give me Alexandre Pantoja uh, and – Uh, Brandon Moreno, give it to me soon, and give me Brandon Roy Ball versus literally anybody in the whole world. (laughs) All right, so before we get on to the lightning round of the prelims, I do have to let you know that this is the summer of soccer, and it continues on Paramount+. (laughs) Plus. Stream over 2,000 soccer matches a year from around the world. All the heart-pounding drama from CBS Sports, including the UEFA Champions League, Europa League, Italy's Serie A, Argentina's Premier Division, the Brasileiro... NWSL, the Asian Football Confederation, and the CONCACAF qualifiers, featuring stars from the U.S. and Mexican men's national teams. Plus, much more. It's the best of the beautiful game with all beautiful names like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Ramaphone, and Pulisic. Be part of the excitement as champions are crowned and history is made. The world's game lives here on Paramount+. Visit Paramount+ Plus to start your free trial and stream every match live. Also, please remember to download the SGPN app. We are now live in the App Store and the Google Play Store, and it gives you easy access to our picks, podcasts, and news, so don't forget to toss us an app review and download the SGPN app today. All right, so we're right about at the 10-minute warning here, so we are going to give you lightning quick uh, the prelim portion of this card. Austin Lingo, nice win over Luis Saldana. Pretty easy one to score. I'm not sure I'm super high on either of these two after but, you know, a nice little win for Lingo there.
1: Yeah, not much to say. Uh, it was a nice win. It was a solid enough fight. Um, This was Lingo's debut? Am I no, correct? No, me? so Lingo
0: is actually... He, he has no, won. he's actually
1: fought three times. Three this times, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, got,
0: he got worked by Yusuf Zalal in his debut, but his comeback now kind of quietly and beat Jacob Kilburn and Luis Saldana. The Kilburn fight... If I remember right, Kilburn did not look. Um, how I say do this? remember that one. How yes. to say this nicely? UFC quality. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah he, I yeah, believe okay. he's no longer with the UFC. So yeah, this was like his first more legitimate looking win in the UFC. Um, first time he looked this good. But yeah, um, now another Fortis MMA guy with another win. <laughs> good look at that.
1: Uh, yeah, Fortis MMA is on fire, huh?
0: They just always. And we're gonna talk about them in a second too. Yeah. Um, so good on Austin Lingo. Um, Brian Kelleher, you know, just ran through Domingo Pilarte in violent fashion, landed damn near 200 strikes. Um, I'm not sure anybody's surprised by that. I think um, everybody – actually, you know who might be surprised by that? Jeff Fox. Jeff Fox picked Domingo Pilarte as a plus 140 underdog, so he might be the only one surprised. But uh, everybody else, I think, was pretty high on Kelleher there. The veteran gets it done. Uh, Any thoughts on Kelleher other than to just let him keep having a lot of fun because he seems to do it every time he's out there?
1: Dude, Brian Keller is the man. He's such a nice guy in person, too. He's just fun to be around. Dude throws bombs. He's got a sick guillotine. And Brian Keller is the best rapper in the game. Uh, happy yeah, to see him. another a good rapper. Another <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, I was shocked when he was rapping. I was like, oh, no, this isn't going to be good at all. Dude, he's great. He's, <laughs> he's so good. He, he definitely could teach Tyron Woodley a thing or two. <laughs> um, um, next one on the list, uh, we had Joe Z. Nunez. Uh, absolutely starched Bay Maleki. In a way that, I mean, like, I, I gave Josie some props for her ability to just swing big before this fight. But I picked Bay just because I thought she was going to keep the distance. She's seven inches taller. And, I mean, like, she looks scared of some of those punches in there. She, You could see that she, the way she was cowering against the cage, Josie's got some power in those hands. Now, I guess maybe this one will be the one we don't go lightning quick through. Like, what are, what is her potential at Bantamweight? Like, what, what do you see... Because Bantamweight's the thinnest division in women's MMA right now, if you don't count featherweight. Like, w- what do you think of her chances to run up that division?
1: Uh, I think this is a really nice win. Um, obviously, she had a huge size disadvantage in there. She's going to keep having
0: of, those size disadvantages, too. She's only yeah. 5'2 at Bantamweight.
1: I mean, maybe maybe she is kind of thick, but maybe a drop down to 125 if it makes sense for her. Um Dude, she looked she looked good. I mean, she she just ran through BMLucky and then put her away at the end of the first round. Um, dude, maybe she. I mean, she could probably re- get in there relatively uh, quickly. And trying to look down, I mean, maybe she fights like. I uh, don't even know.
0: I I was I was thinking Jessica Rose
1: Clark maybe, but Jessica Rose Clark's
0: not a bad one. I I would say uh, like somebody like uh, Julia Vila wouldn't be an awful man. Yeah, Julia would be good, because she Um, comes to bang too. Like she does, like kind of a fun way. I mean, I know Lena Landsberg is slash was pregnant, but like that's another person who just throws. uh, Not Bond. She's a little bit more technical than Josie is, but like if she. Um, was no longer pregnant and looking to get back in the cage. Uh, that would be a fun one, too. But, yeah, I, I mean, I just think this is, like, a fun name to keep an eye on now. You know, like, you don't get a ton of people with punching power like that at, at women's deal. Bantamweight. She's 8-1 and
1: one with uh, uh, seven knockouts.
0: One, yeah, that that's crazy. Two, three, and, granted, it yeah. is we, – we do have to preface this by saying it yeah. is Brazilian regional scene, which is sometimes – not your best competition, but, no, but she's still right putting, here she she's still putting ladies intriguing. away. She's very
1: intriguing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, one to keep an eye on. Another one uh, that's always been a one to keep an eye on is another Connecticut native. That is the theme of today, and that's uh, William Knight. Uh, Thick Willie went in there, and he absolutely crushed Fabio Chiron with a mean counter, uh, put him right to sleep, walked away. Uh, told us to stop sleeping on him. So I think we're going to stop sleeping on him. Um, but what, what you think of Thick Willie's, uh, big knockout?
1: I mean, dude, William Knight is obviously, you look at the guy he's built. is he, just a physical specimen. Um, and it's weird because like, it doesn't always look pretty in there, right? Like even this, even this knockout. And at the end of the day, it was beautiful. But if you watch a knockout, right? Like he's kind of backing up with his chin in the air and it, doesn't looks like he's about to get knocked out, and then he throws the punch on like this weird angle that doesn't even look like he hits clean, but he's just got so much power that he just, he, dude, he just on contact. Charant coming in is just out. Um, again, it doesn't always look pretty, but the results are there. He has the power to, to stop, I think, anybody in that division. So, he's another guy, man. You just keep putting him in there, uh, in fun fights, and, uh, he might not win them all, but he's going to produce. He's going to produce fire probably every time he's in there.
0: Yeah, the way I broke down this fight before we before it happened was: Fabio Trump makes mistakes. William Knight makes maybe more mistakes. And it might not matter who makes more mistakes. It might matter who makes the wrong mistakes. Yes, exactly. Um, and, yes, and that's the thing about William Knight's fights is like he's probably going to go in there and make three or four weird and bad mistakes. And if you make one in response, you're done. You've lost. Because that's what happened on the Contender Series, too, when he beat that Cody – was it Cody Brundage he beat? Yes. Um, And and that guy had, like, good takedown offense. Like, William Knight made, like, a stupid move and got himself taken down in, like, two seconds. And then he just powered up like Derek Lewis, got himself to his feet, and just bashed the side of Brundage's head in and got a TKO because Brundage left his head in the wrong spot. So – yeah, I mean, book them with fun dudes who might possibly make mistakes, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm all here for it. So, big one uh, for big one for William Knight.
1: I was gonna say, I'm looking right now. It looks like Darren Stewart and Justin Dustin Jacoby are fighting next week. Uh, that could be a possible the winner of that. Put them in there with William Knight. Those guys both come to bang too.
0: Yeah, and, and William or, uh William Knight versus Dustin Jacoby would be a very weird mix of a guy who wants to try to be a very technical kickboxer and a dude who just wants to slug and it would probably be such a weird combination oh. to draw out that aggression in Jacoby because we got and I, I
1: think he would too because just Dustin Jacoby has a, a rock iron shin too
0: yeah he took some shots from Ian Kudalaba in that first round nice. he, he's coming off that draw with Kudalaba where he lost the first round 10-8 and then yep. won 10-9-10-9 yeah he took a beating from, from Kudalaba. So it would be interesting to see if Knight can give him that same level beating or even more. And if he can survive that, I mean, like, I think his cardio is way better than William Knight. So, I mean, you'd probably see a very similar type of fight. So, yeah, I'm all here for it, especially if Jacoby um, is able to get through Darren Stewart this upcoming weekend. Um, and then that brings us to a lightweight fight, which was uh, definitely the highlight of the night for just about everybody. And that's Ignacio Baja Mondes spinning wheel kicked Roosevelt Roberts, but let me set the table first of all. He's clearly ahead 30 to 27. There are five seconds left in the fight. He chooses not to disengage, not to throw a couple of safe jabs and cover up. He decides to throw a wild ass spinning wheel kick that lands flush on his man's chin and just puts him out cold with five seconds left on the clock like a freaking beast. Dude, this was so fun to watch, first of all. And second of all, I've seen the replay 70 times, and it doesn't get any less good any time I've seen it.
1: Dude, Bahamundis is a stud, man. He has a, he's just, His offensive output is great. Um, I mean, that's that's got to be up there. I, again, I don't have, like, a list in front of me, but that's got to be pretty damn close to knockout of the year contender. Am I correct? I mean, five seconds left, like you said, in a fight that you're winning and you're throwing a damn... Beautiful spinning wheel kick. Have you seen the picture of it yet? Where
0: oh, uh, with his mouth
1: open, dude, his face is just so distorted. I mean, he's out on contact. I mean, that that was a picture perfect knockout. That the timing of it too was crazy. Wow.
0: Yeah, and and not to change the subject, because if you haven't seen that freeze frame, go back and look at that freeze frame because it's wild. But also, while you're at it, go back and watch the or go back and look at the Josie Nunez uh Maleki frame because that one is also not bad it's yeah. not as good as this one but there, if you haven't seen it yet i highly suggest that one as well um but yeah good on him and hey you know what? he did lose his ufc debut but it was a split decision loss to john mcdesi in a very technical kickboxing match which was super fun to watch so and he's only 23 years old so I, i'm i'm psyched on ignacio baja Mondes. i think there's a lot of fun fights out there for him and i, I can't wait to see what happens also Worth mentioning, too, his takedown defense was amazing. He looked yeah. really good defending takedowns. I think he, uh, Roosevelt Roberts went 0 for 12 um, in takedowns, so good on Ignacio Baja Mondays. Um, and then that brings us to the curtain jerker, the welterweight contest between Ramiz Brahimai and Sasha Um I've been riding Ramiz Brahimai since they signed him, but also definitely before this fight. I uh, had him as my lock of the week. I gave you guys a prop saying to take him by submission, which was, uh, I believe, plus 150. I thought that that was a steal. And not only did he get it done, he got it done in two and a half minutes, subbed him pretty easily with a rear naked choke, put him out cold, the first of the two of the night. I'm going to throw this at you here on this question here, because obviously Ramiz, it's his first win in the UFC. He beat a guy coming off who's only one and one. We don't know what's next for him, but if you're Ramiz, you go in there, And in two and a half minutes, you put your opponent out cold with a sweet rear naked choke after some nice grappling in the first fight of the night. How bummed do you think he is at the end of the night not getting a performance bonus? Because he winds up getting skunked here for Pantoja, Baja Mondays, Willie Knight, and Josie Nunez. They all take him home. Ramiz, empty-handed. Do you think he deserved it more than one of them? And how bummed do you think he is after setting that tone and then happen to just watch people rack up highlight after highlight after. Him.
1: Uh, it's tough, right? Because the submission was great, but if you look at some of the others, the other finishes, right? Like the William Knight knockout. And again, we don't even have to talk about the in this knockout because that nothing. It's not obviously it's, it's one of the right, greatest ever. Yeah, <laughs> that just wins exactly. So I mean, the William Knight knockout. It's just a beautiful, picture perfect knockout. And again, like the other. Pantoja, I mean, he's he's in a pseudo number one contenders fight against Brandon Roy Val, so I I just think that the level of competition was there. It, it's it's tough for uh, Ramaz, but I I gotta kind of agree, man. I just think he was up against it, and again, maybe maybe recency bias caught up to him a little bit too because those fights all happened later in the card, but uh, I mean, nonetheless, he looked great. And it was nice to see his uh, ear
0: stay on his yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, they, like, zoomed in on it before the fight, too. I was like, you can't even tell it was not. No, it was not. A, yeah, great job. But, no, I, I agree with you on the performance bonuses. I, I went back and looked oh, afterwards. See,
1: uh, Josie Nunes knockout, obviously, too, is fucking amazing.
0: Yeah, and, and like, so for me, she's an 135-pounder who put somebody out with one shot. I you know, know. Like that, that that automatically, for me, is pretty much right there. The Willie Knight one, like you said, is just crazy. It's one touch knock away. You know the yelling. You know amps me up even more. Baja Mondays yes. we don't need to discuss. Nope. And uh, you're right. And not just Pantoja getting the same choke. You know, nearly putting his opponent out with that same choke, and it being high level competition. Also, just like top to bottom, his grappling in that was higher level. You know, yes. like Ramiz is – He was methodical. He moved from you know full guard that half guard the side control into mount and then he took his back and then he subbed him and he moved changed the choke dude he freaking Pantoja was doing somersaults like nonstop, and it wasn't his choice like he was just holding on to somebody doing somersaults and Gramby rolls and all kinds of craziness and he winds up with the rear naked choke anyway so yeah I, I agreed with it but man does that have to suck being the first guy of the night setting the tone like that and then watching his People just rack up highlight after highlight. I but, know, right?
1: You're kind of like seeing money just like evaporate from your hands. But uh, yeah,
0: that that wins. That wins a performance bonus on 95 percent of cards. Right? Exactly. Uh, and, and exactly. Just not this night because this night, low key, you know. Now that we're we've completely ran it all down, like with the exception of a couple of the main card fights that I did find you know, kind of got slow at points like the Mark Madsen fight or the Vince Pichelle fight or even the main event at some times. Like you said, it was a methodical victory for Cannoneer, but maybe not the most exciting. With the exception of a couple of those late decisions, dude, every fight on this card had some sort of excitement in it. You know, like either a big knockout or Brian Kelleher throwing 200 punches or, you know, a technical guillotine choke or, you know, like it was a pretty damn good card for one that people were dogging to start.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, top to bottom, uh, Just amazing. A lot of finishes are produced. Obviously, it's going to produce one of 2021's best highlights. It had the intrigue of the main event. Yeah, man, it was a really, really good card top to bottom, which I feel like we've been saying for a lot of these UFC cards lately. I mean, again, like, you know, a lot of these cards will have like the one big fight at the top and just kind of thin out at least name value wise, but usually they're just churning just good good card after good card.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you one that doesn't sleep on uh, name value, and that's the fight card that's coming up that we will be breaking down on Wednesday. That main event is Edson Barboza versus Giga Chikadze, which, like you said, is the one fight at the top with name value, but there's name value up and down this card. We're also getting Kevin Lee versus Daniel Rodriguez in a crazy welterweight fight. You get Gerald Mearshart versus Mahmoud Muradov, which is a middleweight fight, which is kind of exciting. Um, You know, the aforementioned Dustin Jacoby-Darren Stewart fight, Sam Alvey's fighting, which, you know, I'm always here for Sam Alvey, plus the two Ultimate Fighter finales, which uh, if you guys have been watching the Ultimate Fighter this week, or this year, rather, um, you you might know that I, I'm pretty high on a couple of these guys. I, I think there's a lot of potential with, with two or three of them. Um, there was obviously, like, a weird last-second change that pulled one of the fighters out. Again, one of the ones I was pretty high on, but... Yeah, it's looking like a good card. I'm going to, before we depart here, ask you for uh, for an early thought on Giga Chikadze, Edson Barboza.
1: So, really quick before I give you that, did you actually watch the Ultimate Fighter? W- no,
0: dude, dude, I am, so, you know, and if, if people who frequent the show know this, I openly admit to being one of the few people still watching the Ultimate Fighter when it comes out, every week, dude. Like, and I, it,
1: watch, I watched it this season, too. I went a lot oh, of times without okay. watching it, but I, I felt like I needed to watch it. And I got to say, they did a better job this season, I think, focusing on the fighters and their stories. And maybe it was because... There wasn't, you know what it was too with a lot of the fighters in this season? And maybe it was the last couple seasons, but there wasn't a lot of like beef, like everything felt like they were just there to do business and do work. And, you know, I was sick of just the same reality bullshit every single season. Obviously it produced good fighters, but it just got old. But I really, I honestly felt like this season, uh, it was really good. I I enjoyed it.
0: Dude, you're you're just, you know, you're saying all the things that I feel like it it was a season that. There wasn't the alcoholic meltdown of Junie Browning or, or Julian Lane in there. There wasn't uh, a fight in outside the house. There, yeah, like there wasn't somebody screaming at anybody else. There was like – people generally didn't like Brian Ortega's coaches, um, which, by the way, do you know – this is a fun piece for anybody who's been watching this season. You know the coach, the kind of older guy who's yes. the coach of Brian Ortega with the glasses who's kind of a pain in the ass, told yes. that guy to elbow the thigh? Yes. Do you know who that is? Who is that? That's the guy who Gary Goodridge put in a, a, cruci- a crucifix and elbowed in the side of the head like 9,000 times. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I looked it up. His name is Paul Herrera, and he's the guy who Gary Goodridge put out with a crucifix like 450 times. Damn, man.
1: You're a... Uh, you're- Putting this guy on blast. I feel like that guy like
0: <laughs> kind of like
1: went into the radar and like fell off the face of the earth. And look at him now; he's back. Holy shit! I did not know that.
0: It, yeah, it's weird that they wouldn't mention that on the show that he's had two career MMA fights, and the second well, one ended that <laughs> way. <laughs>
1: like, hey, here's this, here's Brian Ortega's. Second chief coach, he's the one that
0: got uh, brutalized by Gary Goodrich. Yeah, I feel like I really enjoyed that, especially after, like, he said – he was kind of a dick in a couple episodes. He and was, I was like, okay. I was wow. like, who the – and then I was like, who the hell is this guy? So then I looked it up, and that's – that's who he is. He's that guy. So, um, so we get to know that, and that he's gotten his comeuppance already. So we don't have to worry about him getting them later. Um, all right. So let's let's switch to talking yeah, about Barboza. No, I, no, I love the tangent. This show is built on tangents. So, uh, uh, I to Barboza, Giga Barboza.
1: I'm gonna be very honest with you. I don't have a big read on it. I listen. I'm I'm pretty damn high at Giga Chiyakazi. I like what he's been doing, but dude, look at the resume. He has not fought anybody near the level of Edson Barbosa. Again, he, he fought Cobb in his last fight, but Cobb is, is, honestly, probably a couple years past it, you know. When Edson Barbosa first announced that he was going down to 145, and this is kind of similar to Jose Alda going down to 135, I thought it was the worst idea ever. I'm like, how the hell is this guy going to get 10 more pounds off of his body? But, dude, he has looked so good. I thought... He deserved the, the win in the Dan Ige fight in his debut. Dude, he chewed through Shane Burgos in his last fight. Remember, he had that um, that really weird uh, the delayed knockout where Burgos looked fine, and then the equilibrium went, and he got knocked out. Um, I, this this is just really, really freaking good matchmaking. If I had to make a lean, I'm going to go with Barboza and the experience over five rounds, but... uh. Man, I would not be surprised if uh, if Giga comes out with a win. Hey, what are the odds, by the way?
0: Um, So right now, Giga is actually a slight favorite, uh, which really shocked me because, I, you know what, like you, I, I like Giga Chikadze quite a bit. The experience factor does worry me, and it does make me think that, like, he hasn't fought – I mean, he does have a huge kickboxing background, but he hasn't fought anybody in MMA like Edson Barbosa. But he's, uh, right now I'm seeing negative 115 for Giga and negative 105 for Edson. So it's razor close. But right now the nod is to Giga, which to me, a little bit crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to think on it a few more days before I make my official picks on the episode anyway, but uh, we will get to that once again on Wednesday, so uh, as a friendly reminder, if you guys are listening to us in the SGPN feed, make sure to subscribe to the MMA Gambling Podcast specific feed, leave us a review, leave us a nice little rating, Um, and of course make sure you subscribe there because as we move forward into football season, the SGPN feed gets a little crowded and they might leave an episode of ours or two out so the only way that you can guarantee to get each and every one of our episodes is subscribing in the MMA Gambling Podcast feed. Also, make sure you follow all of our writings on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I've got some pieces up there now that you can check out each and every week. You can, of course, check out my podcast, the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, which this week will have both Giga Chikadze and Brian Battle, who will be fighting in the Ultimate Fighter finale on it. And while you're at it, make sure you check out Kurt's podcast as well, the Fixed Fights Podcast with Kurt and Ben, which you can follow on Twitter, at Pod. And you can follow him on Twitter, at KCPKO. Um, and until next time, I'm Daniel gooby Reeland, He is Kurt Chase Patrick. We will catch you on Wednesday.